0: It's a damn tough life full of toil and strife we men undergo, and we don't give a damn when the gale is done how hard the winds did blow, cause we're homeward bound from the arctic ground with a good ship taut and free. And we won't give a damn when we drink our rum with the girls of Old Maui. Rolling down to Old Maui, me boys, rolling down to Old Maui. We're homeward bound from the Arctic ground, rolling down to Old Maui. Welcome to Higgledy Piggledy Whale Statements. I'm Mark.
1: And I'm Ben.
0: Uh, today we are talking about Chapter Fifty Four of Moby Dick, the town hose Story,
1: as told at the Golden Inn. Yes. Which is, uh, we get a, a brief glimpse of uh, Ishmael's future.
0: Yes. Yeah. This uh, this story has like a slight. It kind of has a frame narrative. Um,
1: okay. This entire necessarily the story is a frame narrative. The frame narrative is Moby Dick.
0: Well, okay, yeah, no, I mean this chapter has its own special frame narrative separate from the rest of the novel. Are you happy?
1: Yes. Now we've explained it to the reader, the listeners. <laughs>
0: <sighs> um, yeah. Uh, this 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 is a, uh, a story that Ishmael heard um, from another whale ship, the Town Ho. Uh, which he later shared um, with some friends of his, like at a bar in Lima. Um,
1: yeah, his extremely Spanish friends at Lima. In yes, Lima.
0: yeah, they—they they are uh, uh, Don Pedro and Don Sebastian, uh, and I, a handful of other people.
1: Yeah, at one point he mentions that one of them has like a, a like a ruffle or like a a ruff, like a frilled ruff. So I'm just imagining like Elizabethan era Spaniards. Yeah, <laughs> there's this there's this very strong sense of like whatever Ishmael understands the national character of Spain to be, these men really have it.
0: Yes, yes. Um,
1: uh, but yeah, so this was discovered like he learned at a gam the story of the town ho the uh, ship he was visiting, which at the time that he met them, uh, mostly had a crew from. Um, I think from Polynesia?
0: Yeah, so he describes them having mostly a Polynesian crew. I think uh, at the end of the story we hear about the Townhoe's crew being manned almost entirely with Tahitians. So I, I think yep, this they're... is probably that same crew, more yeah, or less. Yeah, I think, I think that was
1: the impression I got, definitely.
0: Um, yeah, so. Uh, also, uh, a mildly interesting point of trivia. Um, Ishmael claims that Townhoe is uh, like an ancient cry uh, indicating uh, first sighting a whale. uh, I.e.,
1: thar she blows. Yes.
0: Uh, According to PowerMobyDick.com, and uh, I also found this confirmed on an article on the Smithsonian Magazine website, so I I think it's probably true, Uh, this is a corruption of a Wampanoag word, Townor, which... I do not know if I'm pronouncing that correctly. That's just how it is spelled in this, you know, English uh, transliteration. Mm-hmm. Anyway, according to PowerMobyDick.com, that word actually means I have spotted the whale for a second time. Um, uh, which is definitely, that definitely speaks to like uh, a language from a culture that has an extremely uh, strong and longstanding whaling tradition. You know, that you have a specific word for that. Um, anyhow. uh,
1: Yeah. Ishmael also mentions that while he heard most of the story at the time, he later from, or like in other situations, learned more of the details from other people involved.
0: Yes, uh...
1: So at the so, um, neither Captain Ahab nor the mates ever learned the whole story of the town ho.
0: Yes, um, and and in fact, uh, the way that the story got out to Ishmael and uh, the other, like you know, members of the the non officer the fossil,
1: ma- the the people before the main mass.
0: Yes, exactly. The way the story got out to them uh, is that the the story was communicated by by three. Of, uh, of of the white seamen of the town ho to Tashtigo, with uh, Romish injunctions of secrecy.
1: Uh, I don't actually know exactly what that's referring to.
0: Well, Romish means Catholic, so he's sure. basically saying that they were. I mean, I, this is this is kind of. Uh, he's suggesting, I think, like the sense of. You know, like uh
1: ceremony and conspiracy?
0: Yes, exactly. Like this this is sort of vaguely Illuminati shit. <laughs> um Anyway, uh so uh they swore a to secrecy, but he talked in his sleep, uh and that gave away so much of the story that he basically had to actually fully tell it to the rest of the crew.
1: Uh, yeah, no, the the story is treated as having, like, a, an almost occult power. It's like, oh, the secrets of the town hose story. When it's, honestly, it's not that important. Like, it's just, some things happened on a boat. Like, okay, that- uh, uh,
0: Ben, this is a, this is, so, I, I think it's pretty clear why they didn't want to communicate this story to the mates.
1: That's fair.
0: Um, like, it is a- it is a story of rebellion on a whale ship. I
1: believe the term is mutiny, but yes.
0: Well, I mean, I think the question of whether this is precisely a mutiny is, like, interesting.
1: Yeah, but, I suppose that's true. But yeah. it is
0: definitely a story of, like, seamen on a whale ship acting against the captain and the mate. Mm-hmm. Um. So, I think, I think it is understandable why the crew of the Pequod would want to conceal... The full details of that Um, yeah
1: I think that makes sense also um, since we're sort of talking about the story as a whole I do think that one of the most important things about this chapter is that Ishmael is terrible at telling stories like this chapter is not organized well at all for telling the the tale he is trying to tell obviously it's done so in an interesting way and a characterful way but I found his, his storytelling incredibly frustrating
0: Yeah, uh, can you speak on that a little more? Because, like, I I think I understand some of what you're suggesting here, but, I mean, I found it pretty... Like, it's...
1: It's perfectly readable, but there's things like the bit where he will swing away from the actual action to elaborate on his theory of like the phenotypes of the upper Midwest. Yes. And his extremely long digression on the inland seas that are the Great Lakes of the U- United States and Canada or his like elaborate theory on the canalers um, of the Erie Canal and how these various things intersect and even his muddled way of talking about the like personal characters of the uh, people involved all if he was trying to tell a straightforward whaling story and yarn to you know don's pedro and sebastian in an inn would have been frankly irritating beyond belief.
0: Okay, so it your main objection appears to be that the story is digressive.
1: It's okay. digressive in a way that is intentionally undercutting, or at least seems to me to be intentionally undercutting, the actual, like, thrust and movement of the story and makes it harder to understand what he's getting at. It is obscuring itself.
0: Mm, see, okay, I agree with you that the story is kind of meandering and in some ways, like, obscuring Parts of itself, but I don't consider that to be bad storytelling in the context that he's describing, where, like, uh, it it seems very clear that part of what Ishmael is doing here is, like, drawing things out and, like, building up, like, drama and and, like interest in that kind of way
1: and and like I, yes i guess but i i don't think he often does it in a way that specifically communicates drama like again the whole thing about canalers and lake men he could easily have said radney was a you know he could have described radney without describing the entire type of sailors from the upper midwest that he goes into
0: yes no you're right like i i i i am not disagreeing that the story is digressive i guess i'm just saying that i I think calling that bad storytelling is a little, uh, like, it is It is a conscious effect, you know? Like, And I think I it's mean, a conscious effect on Ishmael's part, too. I don't think this is just, like, I don't think it's like Ishmael can't help it. I think he's doing it on purpose.
1: I, I disagree on that point. I think that Ishmael, as we've sort of generally recognized, has a very hard time actually getting to the point of a story, and feels that he needs to give context that is actually... Wildly unnecessary
0: Yeah, well, alright, fair enough Let's, uh <laughs> I, I don't know that there's any need to, like Continue hashing this specific point out further
1: Sure, sure I um, think we have a good frame on it And, you know, people who read the chapter will decide
0: Yeah, yeah, make up your own minds Whether Ishmael is a bad storyteller Or whether he is just, uh uh Trying to You know, draw out his story Purposefully mm-hmm. Um I will definitely agree with you that, in general, in many parts of this story, Ishmael is, like, digressive to the extreme and, like, gets in his own way about communicating things.
1: Yes. Um. That's... So,
0: like, that is absolutely a characteristic of his writing.
1: Yeah, that's—one that's... of the things I've mentioned, like, very early on in reading this book is that I really love how Ishmael is a terrible storyteller, but Melville isn't. And the way in which Ishmael's digressiveness and obscurity actually serves to— Empowered, increase the effect of the fiction But if Ishmael is trying to tell you about Things that actually happened He's bad at it
0: <laughs> Which, yeah.
1: you know We all love him, I want to mm-hmm. be clear <laughs> He's The poison in Ishmael's veins Is that of an academic He's <laughs> inc- just one who has a Who is not in any way in an academy <laughs>
0: Yes So, uh, the story of the town hall. Uh It took place Two years before uh the townhome met the Pequod. Um, 2 years
1: before the gam
0: yes uh and uh at that time uh the townhome somewhere north of the line uh gets a leak uh so you know
1: they were sailing the pacific uh i believe ah uh,
0: yes sailing in the pacific that's that's probably that is important to mention because that's yes yeah uh anyway um and uh you know uh there's there's a little bit of a he kind of elaborates on the leak a little more than maybe is necessary, uh, but <laughs> yeah. basically the point is it's it's a leak. It's but it's not it's not so serious that they need to like stop sailing. Yeah, many yeah. Many.
1: they just they just have to keep pumping the water out of the boat because one of the things about uh, tall ships that, in fact, I think ships in general, it isn't always sort of understood, is that you can absolutely have a leak and keep sailing as long as you keep you know bailing the water out and removing. it. And so ships will have pretty heavy-duty pumps uh, driven by human power in a, you know, a tall ship uh, that's basically a capstan or a bellows or something that you pump it, the water gets out of the ship, and you can keep going even though you've sprung one or multiple leaks. Um, Obviously, this is constant work, uh, but the captain decides that given the number of men and given the, um, uh, just the, you know, smallness of the leak, they can just have a uh, duty assigned. That oh yeah, we have someone in the roster go down and pump, and the ship will stay floating. It'll be fine. And the captain wants to get whales.
0: Yes, he, he has some sort of belief uh, that he's he's in a he's in a position of particular good luck here. Uh, so you know, he, he really thinks he's going to find whales. So he doesn't want to stop cruising. Um, I, I I think Ishmael doesn't really underline this point, but something that I think is. Important about the leak is that it means That the townhoe is in need of Like uh, Even more so than a, a whaling ship already is It The townhoe is in need of like All of its hands working Constantly.
1: Yeah and in fact early on He mentions that you know it's a small Leak so they work at the pumps at Wide and easy intervals They don't really have to do a lot to keep the pumps Going However that slowly changes The leak keeps getting worse
0: Yes um Uh, but Ishmael basically says, uh, this would have all been fine. The town ho would have been able to handle all these problems if, uh...
1: Dun, dun, dun!
0: If, basically, the rest of this story hadn't happened.
1: (laughs) Yeah, Um, no, that's a good way of putting it. And he specifically says if the, um, if Radney, the first mate, uh, weren't an asshole. And also, if there weren't in the crew, uh, steel kilt.
0: Yes, uh and
1: uh who's from buffalo
0: yes he 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 makes sure to specify as as ishmael always does the specific uh you know uh geographic origins of these men radney is a vineyarder therefore from martha's vineyard um later he calls him a nantucketer also i think ishmael's basically treating those as interchangeable Mm -hmm. Uh, and Steelkilt is a lakeman and desperado from buffalo uh, which, of course, the Dons are immediately confused by and ask for an explanation.
1: <laughs> yeah, um, and it's what these interjections by the Dons are always just extremely Spanish colonial. Like, yes. Like to the point of caricature. I, I'm sure it's intentional because it's like, uh, Pray, what is a lake man and where is buffalo? Said Don Sebastian, rising in his swinging mat of grass. Yes. He's got like a grass hammock.
0: Yeah, much as Ishmael is at pains to give us a sense of the, you know, geographic character of the characters in his story, he also wants to give us a sense of that of uh, his his auditors. Yes. Um.
1: Uh, so, God, there's like a solid, there's a paragraph that lasts a solid page and a bit in my copy of Moby Dick that is uh, Ishmael explaining Lake Erie. Yes. And like... How... And, and like the
0: great lakes and and the 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 sailing culture on them i guess.
1: Yes. Well, not even like not just the sailing culture like also all of the like surrounding populations. He's basically arguing that the the entire sort of oceanic world of islands, you know, what he calls isolados earlier um, of um of like shores with you know civilized and you know he would consider to be pagan societies of you know wars and strife and pirates and ships sinking in the middle of the night with no one around but their shrieking crew with no sight of land all of those exist on the great lakes because they manage to be freshwater seas within you know within the north american continent and that's like the The sort of, um, elaborate, ongoing, huge description is just him, like, listing every little element of the, uh, region that helps add to this sense that they're just like oceans. So that while Steelkit is technically from inland, he has a mariner's, like, uh, he has, like, a wild mariner's spirit. Yes. Um. I'm trying to find any of the, like, really... Ones in that I will say They contain round archipelagos of Romantic isles even as the Polynesian Waters do as someone who has lived Near the Great Lakes all my life Ishmael that's a damn lie Like I'm sure (laughs) there are islands there are cool And interesting islands but like Comparing the the scale is A meaningful difference here Also ours are really Cold
0: yeah yeah I mean you know obviously He is uh in some ways exaggerating for effect Because mm-hmm. he's got an interested audience Yeah um,
1: and and he wants to defend his the- His like theory of types That says that Steel Kilt was wild Ocean born that he has all Of the qualities that are both good and bad that ishmael wants to attach to a like a true mariner but he's sort of stymied in this because uh or not stymied but has to go the long way around because he wants to argue that this got that a lake man can be a true ocean mariner
0: yes um
1: and then there's that little bit that we couldn't really figure out
0: which, uh, uh, where he's kind of going into their characters? Yeah, like,
1: the comparative thing, and he, he phrases it so oddly.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna read it, I think. Yep, yep. Uh, just to, uh, so, uh, thus, gentlemen, though an inlander, Steelkilt was wild ocean-born and wild ocean-nurtured, as much of an audacious mariner as any. And for Radney, though in his infancy he may have laid him down on the lone Nantucket beach to nurse at his maternal sea though in afterlife he had long followed our austere Atlantic and your contemplative Pacific. Yet was he quite as vengeful and full of social quarrel as the backwoods seamen, fresh from the latitudes of buckhorn-handled bowie-knives. Yet was this Nantucketer a man with some good-hearted traits, and this lakeman, a mariner, who, though a sort of devil indeed, might yet by inflexible firmness, only tempered by that common decency of human recognition which is the meanest slave's right, thus treated— this steel kilt had long been retained harmless and docile.
1: Uh, yeah, it's it's weird to me because I can't—I genuinely can't tell if he's trying to say that were the Nantucket a man with some good-hearted qualities, and were the Lakeman, you know, a total devil but still treated with some respect, everything would have turned out fine. But that's not so. Or was he saying that? Um, the Nantucketer was, in fact, a man with some good-hearted traits, and the Lake Man was sort of a devil indeed, but also could be treated properly. However, something went wrong and that didn't happen. I honestly can't tell if he's trying to say the one or the other.
0: Yeah, I. so I think, you know, we'll, we'll see what sort of is borne out by the actual story. I I think that, like, the, the moral of this story on some level is that if radney had had like the slightest shred of human decency toward steel kilt this entire tragedy uh well, tragedy is maybe not quite the right word this, this adventure this entire to do could have been avoided
1: <laughs> this fracas, yes this uh, rigmarole?
0: yes um like i think mm. i think basically Ishmael is saying something like radney brought this on him on himself by treating steel kilt in the unacceptable way he did yeah
1: i think that that's generally what i get from there but whether steel kilt or radney is like the the more out of line or the more like morally questionable is kind of important to what ishmael's like getting at and he really doesn't again i think that this is an instance where ishmael's being kind of overly loquacious and not very good at explaining himself but that actually helps improve the overall literary effect of the story
0: yeah on a fair. on a ridden level. That is fair. Um uh, anyway, uh
1: the leak's still growing.
0: Yes, the leak was increasing. Um and, you know. Uh that
1: means more and more pumping.
0: Exactly. Um and this is still not like terrible, but you know, it was um causing some concern, especially for Ratney. Uh, and so they he he ordered them to you know, uh, set the sails as broadly as possible, get the ship moving into port as quickly as possible.
1: Or, I think, actually, get the ship moving towards Wales as quickly as possible and insisting that we pump more. It's There's sort of a sense Radney might have liked to have gone into port and gotten it fixed, but the captain won't hear of it.
0: Mm, well, that that would make some sense. Um, but uh, I, I do think Radney is meant to be, in this moment, uh, more concerned with... So, doesn't it say...
1: The the seamen um, are all talking among themselves about how uh, this... Um, Radney's overbearing insistence on constantly manning the pumps and... <clears throat> excuse me. And f- having full sail and just generally pushing people is because he's worried about his own part of the ship as an investment and yes. making his own uh, money. But that implies that he was... Uh, he might have been sort of pulled between going back to port or following the captain's lead and striking out to try and get a whale before going back to port from this leak.
0: So I think what you're saying is, is true, that like concern for his investment leads him in two directions at once. However, the captain at this point is not driving mm. towards whales. It He, it, he says uh, on a previous page, like before that whole discussion of, of uh, Lakeman, sure. uh, that... Now taking some alarm, the captain, making all sails, stood away for the nearest harbor among the islands. Oh,
1: okay. So at this so point, they are... they're no longer chasing whales. Yeah. Th-
0: at this point, uh, the concern about the leak has grown so much that they are actually just trying to get into harbor as quickly as they that's,
1: can. That's very odd, given later events in the story.
0: Yeah, yeah. Like, that's, there's
1: a very weird thing there.
0: Yeah. Uh, uh, so, you know, setting all sail... Um, s- gossip among the seamen, as you said, that, um, that Radney is, uh, so concerned to get into port, um, because... To protect his investment. Yeah, to protect his investment in the ship.
1: Uh, and specifically, it's, it's noted that, uh, Radney is ugly and not very impressive, and Steelkilt is this, like, giant flower of masculinity. Yes. Like, just, <laughs> yes. um, there's a line here which is very funny to me, and which... Is interesting because it sounds so much like the descriptions of Ahab we've gotten. Mm-hmm. This idea that he's got, you know, um, a brain and a heart and a soul in him, gentlemen, which had made steel-killed Charlemagne, had he been born son to Charlemagne's father. Which. Ishmael. <laughs> Ishmael. I mean,
0: you know, I, I get what he means, right? Which is that, like, Charlemagne is not just someone who. Uh, inherited the title of king but also someone who is like a, a great man of history right yeah not not every uh not every king of france was charlemagne
1: sure but i think there's a deep um but yes there's a deep irony there of like um oh yes no he would have been charlemagne had he been you know born into a royal family and it's like ishmael that doesn't mean as much as you think it means or like you're what you're pointing out is not actually his innate superiority but the deeply uh the the fact that innate superiority does not in fact ensure that someone rises to a particular position or has particular success like if he would have been a great man of history in the right time and place says a lot about whether great men of history just sort of arise from their own merit
0: yeah yeah but i but i do think that like the, the idea throughout this story has been pretty consistent that there does exist some kind of, like, objective merit of character within human beings. Yes. And the fact that it doesn't necessarily bear out directly in, like, the hierarchies that exist in life is not in any way... Uh, uh, I do not think Ishmael sees that as in any way, um, like, disproving the idea oh, of that inherent virtue. Yeah,
1: but that inherent virtue doesn't necessarily correspond to great historical figures. That's sort of, that's part of the whole point of why he's like, whalemen are actually really cool and good, even though they're a despised underclass, sort of.
0: Yes, yes. Uh, Um,
1: But in this case, it's a case of the, you know, the Ahab of the piece, the person with this immense will and drive and mind, who is, in fact, in the inferior position.
0: Yes. And uh, and this is, uh, this is basically presented as a reason why Radney hates Steelkilt because he yep. knows that Steel Kilt is better than him.
1: Yes, and Steelkilt is also uh deeply, deeply, deeply contemptuous of Radney's efforts to like uh present himself as strong and cool and try and cow Steel Kilt and get his, you know, his deference, his submission. And so this comes to a head when Steel Kilt is at the pump, you know, now they've got pretty around the clock pumping, and Steelkilt is just Actively shit-talking Radney about his uh desire to, um you know, take his own investment and desperately get it back to port and calling him a coward, basically. And Radney's walking up, and Steelkilt just keeps doing it. And, like, doesn't shush at all and completely ignores Radney's present. Yes. Presence.
0: Yep. Yeah, he is, he is, uh, just, uh, making fun of him.
1: Yep, yep. Ah.
0: And but you know uh I will say uh Rodney's response to that is you know uh, he says damn your eyes what's that pump stopping for um and you know steel kilt uh doesn't the the accusation that steel kilt because he's like jawing away is not actually doing the work it's not accurate steel kilt does uh you know uh with that the pump clanged like 50 fire engines um so you know uh, he does uh Work away hard at the pump, as hard as he could be asked to, basically. Yeah,
1: and he sits there with his face fiery red, his eyes bloodshot, and wiping the profuse sweat from his brow. Uh, I'm also assuming that he, like, took off his shirt and his muscles gleamed.
0: Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. Um,
1: and that's when Radney makes a very big mistake.
0: Yes. Uh, Radney, uh, walks up to him, and, uh... Orders that he sweep the deck and Shovel away some pig shit that's on the deck
1: Yep, yep um, And that is, uh, that is not like able Seaman, uh, work That's like for the cabin boy That's for the lowest, uh, lowest class People on ship
0: Yep, that is a, it is a giant insult to ask Uh, to, to order Steelkilt to do this
1: Especially immediately after, um has just Done his job and completely wiped Himself out
0: Yes, um so, uh, you know, uh, steel kilt. Uh, takes doesn't it, do it. Yeah, he takes it as the insult that it is meant, um, and you know, he he doesn't want to immediately ignite a feud, so he just answers in like a normal tone, saying, uh, "That's not my job."
1: Yeah, I'm um, nope, not gonna do it. And uh, Radney continues making bad decisions.
0: Yeah, uh he he comes at Steelkilt with a hammer.
1: Yep, waving it in his face, going, You you know, you better uh go and sweep up that pig shit. You're you know, I'm in charge here. Um uh you know, do it, do it, do it, do it. Like that's about the degree of we don't even get his dialogue here, it's just furiously commanding him to do his bidding and invective and so on. So Radney is not being presented as the, like, rational or sensible one here.
0: No, not at all. Um, uh, At at one point, uh, Radney's speech is described as a string of insufferable maledictions. (laughs) Um, So, uh, yeah, they they have, like, this this tense standoff where, like, Steelkill is just uh, kind of steadily insisting I'm not going to do that, I'm not going to do that, and Radney is... Ordering him and getting more and more up in his face with the hammer. Um,
1: Uh, And then uh, Steelkilt says that uh, if the hammer touches me, I will kill you. And uh, quote, but gentlemen, the fool had been branded for the slaughter by the gods. Immediately the hammer touched the cheek. Yes. And he just clocks him. Uh, Steelkilt just knocks Radney, like breaks his jaw, knocks him flying with this immense punch. And then things go to hell.
0: Yeah, uh, so immediately- Wait,
1: wait, wait, no. First we have to explain what a canaller is. Uh,
0: uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so what happens there is that Ishmael <laughs> says that uh, Steel killed immediately uh, shakes the backstays to, like, summon his allies who are up in the rigging. Uh, and then he says, they were both canallers. Canalers
1: cried, Don Pedro. We have seen many whale ships in our harbors, but never heard of your canalers. Pardon, who and what are they?
0: See, okay, this is part to my point of like saying that it's a little unfair to say that Ishmael was is a bad storyteller here because his digressions are directly in response to people asking him to do them, which
1: he has chosen, This is the way he has chosen to give us this story that he also first ho- heard on the town hoe, and also his response is um you know, canalers are the boatmen belonging to our Grand Erie Canal. You must have heard of it. And then instead of, like, going on, okay, but I'll get back to that or anything like that, he then goes on for pages about what canalers are and how actually working a canal produces the most corrupt and venal of human beings and, like, goes into a whole theory about canals.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, I I am not necessarily saying that, like, these digressions lead to like an objectively better story i just think that at least as presented he is responding to the interest of his audience
1: that's fair i just think that he could very easily have said they're a corrupt and venal lot without going into by the way have you ever noticed that you get more corrupt people in places with more churches it really makes you think <laughs> and then the the Lehman, uh you know people have to go ah well you were so nice not to say corrupt as Lima, but we all know that we're very corrupt, and we have so many churches, which really feels to me like Ishmael is embellishing the speech of the of his interlocutors.
0: Yeah, no, that is entirely fair,
1: especially given his the line, uh, you know, you must have heard of it nay Senor hereabouts in this dull warm most lazy and hereditary land we know but little of your vigorous north <laughs> no human being has ever said that
0: <laughs> yeah yeah like fair Ishmael is
1: absolutely interpolating his uh his uh Don's Pedro and Sebastian according to his understanding of Spaniards and Lemans in order to get hi- get to the points he wants to make about canals Lima and Uh, rogues cowering under church eaves.
0: Yes. No, you are right. You are definitely right.
1: Uh,
0: We should, you know, we have basically communicated the important stuff about the canaler.
1: It's a very fun little section, I will say. The description of the canaler is very picaresque and fun. In fact, he says that they would make a fit hero in any picaresque. Uh, I don't want to act like I didn't enjoy this chapter, even if I think Ishmael is tripping over himself telling the story. I just find that very funny. Yes. Um, However, he does also say, That our wild whale fishery contains so many of its most finished graduates of the canal, and that scarce any race of mankind, except Sydney men, are more distrusted, are so much distrusted by our whaling captains. So he was like, you know, um, canalers, vile, you know, they're a, it's a hive of scum and villainy on the Erie Canal, but not as much as Sydney, Australia. It was settled by criminals, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, so, uh, uh, that's, uh, that's canalers. Um,
1: Yeah, also it's noted that the probationary life of the Grand Canal furnishes the sole transition between quietly reaping in a Christian cornfield and recklessly plowing the waters of the most barbaric seas. So this idea also that the canal serves as, like, a finishing school in immorality and roguishness for uh, people going from, like, Wisconsin to becoming a sailor. I don't—yes, they would have been in Wisconsin at this point in time, so, yes. Yeah, and
0: well, I mean, the Erie Canal, we're we're talking about, uh, like— up New Yorkers or, for the Erie Canal. No, it is,
1: but the, the 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 talk about quietly reaping in a Christian cornfield, he's talking about anyone along any of the Great Lakes, because they'll have mm. to go through the Erie Canal to get to the ocean.
0: Yes, okay, yes, that makes sense, yeah.
1: <sighs> but the story...
0: Right, back to back <laughs> to the town, hall Where, um, so uh, Steel Kilt shakes the stays uh, to get his buddies to join him, uh, and basically, I- immediately, in the same moment, um... These two fellow canallers join Steel Kilt, and uh, uh, help help him escape the uh, the officers who are immediately rushing. Yes,
1: us. and there's not just the two canallers and Steel Kilt, but those are the only ones who will be singled out in the story. But there's yes. also, there's a number as well.
0: Yes, uh, as the as uh, Steel Kilt's buddies um, rush him away from where he is and uh, toward the forecastle, uh, other sailors join them.
1: Yep, uh, and they. Uh, they succeed in gaining the foc'sle and uh, make like a barricade with barrels around the windlass mm-hmm. And uh, described as these sea Parisians entrenched themselves behind the barricade Which must be a reference to the Commune of 48
0: Yep, that is exactly what PowerMobyDick.com Fantastic. says
1: Fantastic It's great to know that Ishmael's aware communism exists <laughs> Sort of
0: Sure uh, I mean, you know he's Commun- a ma- He He's a man of the world <laughs>
1: Um uh, Ishmael as a communard is a truly beautiful image to me.
0: Uh anyhow, so um so they get themselves behind this barricade, uh, and the captain comes up and menaces them with pistols from a safe distance.
1: Um, yeah, it's it's worth uh noting, I think that this would generally be the usage of a ship like this, is that the only person who has firearms on the ship is the captain. Yes. That's that's a large part of how a captain can put down a mutiny, is that uh they'll he'll be armed with firearms and nobody else will.
0: Yes. Um, uh, but uh, Steel Kilt is not afraid. He gets up on the barrels and and struts around and uh, defies the pistols, basically saying, if you kill me, uh, everyone is going to mutiny. Um,
1: uh, and the, the captain is is cowed by this, actually. And so he commands them to return to the to their duty. And Steel Kilt tries to extract a promise that if we all go back to our work, that's the end of it. None of us get punished. You don't flog us is the clearly the intention and everything is back to how it was except that radney's mouth is broken and the captain refuses to give that which is understandable it would be a huge loss of his authority if someone could strike the first mate hard enough to break his jaw and get away with it entirely
0: yeah um so uh there's a Again there is a, a an inflexible back and forth where the captain just insisting no I I am going to flog you and you have to turn to like yeah, go or, back to work
1: and he, what he says is I won't make any promises I don't, you don't I don't owe you that turn to and there's a chance he might have if they'd gone quietly not flogged them but not have made a promise not to flog them but Steelkilt does not accept this as a possibility.
0: Yes um and uh, uh part of the captain's argument by the way is that uh, they are they're endangering everyone. Do you want to sink the ship by knocking off at a time like this? Um, which i think is to that whole thing about the, the prob- leak. Yeah
1: yeah no uh, the the ar- the reason why this is comes to such a head is that they need all hands like you said. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um and then ultimately uh the solution is basically that uh steel kilt and his uh i think Nine companions? Ten companions? There's about ten of them. Um, go down un- uh, into, like, the... Um, into a cabin uh, and get barricaded in by the captain. And they're not going to work, but uh, they're also not going to have free run on the deck. They're going to get, like, given water and hard biscuits, but not enough of them.
0: Yeah, and... Uh, it's
1: effectively a siege.
0: Yes, pretty much. And uh, the the captain, as, as he's, like, closing... The, the trap door and locking them in there He whispers something that no one Hears to Steelkilt, killed um, Which uh, Just seems it's, You know I wanted to mention that, that yeah, little yeah. Okay, detail Okay yeah there's
1: exactly ten yeah And uh, there's leaving on deck Some twenty or more who thus far have Remained neutral so like Something like a third of the crew Has now um, has Mutinied sort of Uh, They're insisting it's not a mutiny, and they'll go back to work as long as they won't be flogged. But they are like locked up in the brig, effectively.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, the officers keep watch all night. Uh, There's a um, a definite. They're afraid that uh, the steel kilts group are going to try to break out, um, but they don't.
1: Yep, and the, um, the remaining sailors are working hard, keeping the pump going, so there's a clear need for these ten hands. Well, twenty hands, but you know what I mean. Ten hands in a sailing term.
0: <laughs> yes. Um, and, uh, you know, the next morning, uh, as you mentioned earlier, they toss down some water and biscuit, and, you know, the captain order- orders them back to work, and they refuse. Um.
1: So this continues for three days. Yep. And then, uh, during the feeding period, um... Four men, like, burst up and say, you know, we give up, we're ready to work, uh, we'll do whatever, and the captain doesn't flog them. Yes. He sends them back to work, you know, he yells at them uh, and, and uh, you know, swears at them, but they're not uh, in any way injured. And so over the next few days... Um...
0: The, the, the next day, three more give up. Yeah. Uh, and that leaves only steel kilt and two more... Men And, uh, they, they are specifically, they're the Knollers, the his, his yes. first two associates. Um.
1: So, uh, Steelkilt now proposes, deep in the dark of this, uh, of the brig, that, um, the plan now is they three will break loose with their, uh, I think they have flensing knives, basically.
0: Um. He describes them as mincing knives. Mm,
1: oh, yes. We'll, we'll, get to what mincing means in the, in the context of, uh, whaling later. Um. When we get to how you process a whale um, But they're, they're large They're sharp and his idea is We will during the feeding burst out Take them by surprise Run to the helm and basically try to Raise a mutiny
0: And, and, uh, and, and take the ship if at all possible
1: Yes um, uh, Rather than remain imprisoned And fucked
0: Yeah um, and, uh, and Steelkilt declares that he is going to do this Alone even if the other two don't follow him Uh, And so they immediately are like, oh, no, we're on your side. We will totally do this. Um,
1: And also immediately both think, yeah, okay, I'm going to go up first and immediately surrender and say what the other two are going to do. And that way I'm going to be the last one to actually surrender, even if I'm not, you know, going to be treated as well as the first ones to surrender.
0: Yeah. Uh, And and they... Both of the other two immediately... The Yeah, the two canallers. They immediately both start saying, oh yeah, I'll go first, sort of presenting themselves as the most enthusiastic for the scheme while they are, you know, doing that so that they can uh, betray Steelkilt. And And Steelkilt's
1: like, no, I will lead this. Yes. And and both of the other... And then the other two basically look at each other and later when he's asleep go, yeah, okay, treason? Treason. (laughs) And just tie him up and present him to the captain. Yes. Uh, yeah, he gets he gets uh, shoved up into the air by his perfidious allies, who at once claimed the honor of securing a man who had been fully ripe for murder.
0: Uh, but then uh, all of the both of the uh,
1: canalers well, as well as Steelkilt
0: yeah are all uh, dragged up and uh, tied up in the rigging.
1: Yep, um To be flogged.
0: Yes, uh, they they are hung there, not hanged. So like they they are not being killed, but they are stuck. Yes, in the they're ropes.
1: they're bound up so that they can be like probably by like their wrists and ankles uh so that they I mean, if you've seen like a pirate movie or like a like a old older older uh um movie with uh a tall with tall ships and you know hard men on tall ships, you've probably seen something more or less like this. Yes. Like it's a classic Errol Flynn situation.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um and uh The, uh, they they hang there all night, uh, and then the next morning, um, the captain summons all hands and, uh, gives a bit of a speech, um... Uh, he's saying he, he, he wants, he has a good mind to flog everyone who ever rebelled with steel kilt.
1: Yeah, here he does explicitly, he explicitly calls it a mutiny and says that, you know, I have a right. I, I ought, it's morally correct for me to flog all of you, but I'm just gonna yell at you and flog these three. Presumably because he's afraid that an actual mutiny will break out if he flogs all of them.
0: Yeah, also, I would also imagine, like, um... You know, even if he thinks that the flogging would actually cow everyone and, and reassert his authority, uh, it would probably leave everyone flogged less able to work the pumps. Mm,
1: that's true. It would be a significant loss of a uh, loss of manpower if they're lying around heavily flogged. Given that he um, flogs the two canalers into unconsciousness.
0: Yes, uh, and uh, there's there's the explicit comparison to the uh, the thieves crucified with Christ.
1: Yep. Uh, Uh, specifically, not just, like, an explicit comparison, but, like, um, till they yelled no more, but lifelessly hung their heads sideways, as the two crucified thieves are drawn. So it's, like, not just it's similar in a context, but also, like, and then they did the thing that's in all the paintings. Yep,
0: yep. Uh, and, uh, then the captain goes to flog Steelkilt, uh, but first he ungags him. Uh, it's like, oh, let's see what he has to say for himself. And, uh... Steel Kilt is like, you know, he says- If you flog
1: me, I will murder you.
0: Yep, exactly, pretty much exactly the same threat he made to Radney earlier. Uh, And the captain is like, oh, I don't care. And then uh, Steel Kilt, uh, Steel Kilt here hissed out something inaudible to all but the captain, who to the amazement of all hands uh, started back, paced the, basically the, the captain gives up. On hearing whatever it is that Steel Kilt said.
1: You you should finish that, uh, that paragraph.
0: Started back, paced the deck rapidly two or three times, and then suddenly throwing down his rope said, I won't do it. Let him go. Cut him down, do you hear?
1: Yeah, it's, uh, it's wild. Like, what he said there either was a truly impressive threat or something else, and it's entirely unclear what he could have said that would cause the captain to just back off like that.
0: Yeah, he has some kind of magic phrase by which he can conjure <laughs> the captain. And um,
1: However, Radney's still alive.
0: Yes, yeah. This is the this is the only point at which we learn that Radney is still alive, by the way. You know, like Ben described earlier the idea that Radney just had a broken jaw, but we don't know
1: Yeah no, it's the it, way
0: that Radney is described as being injured before, it's very believable that he might actually be dead. But yeah. now we know actually he's he's just bandaged up, but he's still alive.
1: Yeah. And he is totally willing to flog uh, Steelkilt, who hisses at him, you're a coward. And Radney says, so I am, but take that.
0: And uh, he does pause for a moment when uh, Steelkilt...
1: Hisses something inaudible.
0: Yeah, uh, presumably the same kind of
1: threat whatever or whatever it was. it was
0: that he said to the captain, but that does... That only makes Radney pause. It does not stop him. He, he flogs him. Uh...
1: So then, um, at this point, uh, the traitor, the traitorous canalers, uh, end up, um, basically fleeing to the captain and saying, we can't stay with the crew. They'll kill us for, uh, betraying Steel Kilt. And so they get basically, uh, um, put down in the ship's run for salvation. So they get basically put back in the brig. (laughs) Yeah. For their own safety.
0: Um.
1: And, uh.
0: Meanwhile, uh, however, uh, Steel Kilt has convinced uh, the whole rest of the crew uh, to peacefully follow orders, um, and then when they get to port, all desert the ship. Um, and as part of that plan, in order to uh, uh, end the voyage as quickly as possible, they all also agree not to sing out for whales.
1: Uh, so now they're just—they're not going to do whaling. They're just going to get the ship there as quickly as possible, and then just all fuck off. Yes. Which would be a, a huge problem for the investments.
0: Yes, it would be. But uh, unfortunately for this plan... Um,
1: well, there's also another uh, thing, which yes, is... Yes, no,
0: I should go into this other stuff first. You're totally right. I, I was skipping ahead. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, to be fair, this other stuff doesn't end up really mattering, but please go on.
0: Yeah, so th- this is... You're right, this is kind of an interesting interlude because it, it it's all about something that doesn't happen. Uh, so... Uh, you know, I think it's very possible that this is the part of the story that was not shared um, with the the um, mates mm, of the. Plot. No, that's a really
1: good point. Yeah, because what's what's going on here is that basically Radney is um, Radney is uh, given to a certain like position at watch at night where he. Uh, leans over the side of the boat from sitting on the, quarterdeck uh, quarter deck to put his arm on the railing, of, over the side of the ship, I should say, to put his arm on the railing of the boat that is one of the whale boats hanging over the side where people are supposed to jump into it before it's lowered for, uh, whaling.
0: Yeah, and so he basically takes naps, uh, during his watch in the middle of the night, uh, dangling over the ocean.
1: <laughs> which, quote, um... What's the, the specific phrase that it uses that was so, uh, so great? Um, I'm looking for, uh, this particular line that was so, like, incredibly goth, um, about sailors and graves.
0: Well, that's, that's a little further along because it, it oh, okay. describes all this other...
1: Yes, it's, uh, the man who is apt to doze over the grave, always ready dug to the seaman's hand.
0: Yes. Um, and, uh, Steel Kilt has a plan based on this and it's a this is a supposedly a secret plan not shared even with anyone else of the crew um but it must have uh the the details of it leak out somehow um, well because I, of his... do you
1: mind a mild spoiler on this res- on this mark
0: uh i guess not
1: uh ishmael claims to have later talked to steel kids. oh
0: yes that's not a spoiler that's at the end of this chapter no I that's don't...
1: what i mean I, I mean it's at the end of the chapter as we're
0: Oh, I thought you meant a spoiler for me, no, not no, no, for our no, no, audience. No, 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 no. Uh, anyway, yes, no, you're right. The only, I, 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 I guess think... the only way Ishmael knows this part of the story is because he actually talked to Steelkilt. Yeah,
1: I think so. And what Steelkilt was doing was he wove a rope yarn net to put a an iron ball in, and it's implied that his intention was basically because he's on the same watch as uh, Radney. His intention was to have a weapon that he could instantly kill Radney with, just swing it down on the back of his head. Radney would drop into the gap between boat and ship, and Steelkilt would walk on. No one would hear him cry out, and he would just sink.
0: Yep, uh, and uh, amazingly, uh, at, he at the end of like weaving this this net, uh, he needs like a, one more little piece of twine, uh, and he gets it from Radney. Um.
1: And, uh, yes, he very intentionally gets it from Radney in order to say to a sailor who's like, don't ask him, he hates you, why not? Do you think he won't do me a turn when it's to help himself in the end, shipmate?
0: Yep. Uh, Um. and, uh, so Steelkilt makes his plan for the time when he will...
1: Become a murderer!
0: Yes, when he, when he will, like, have, you know, the, the, the watch when he'll have access to do this. Yes. Uh, however, um, before that... Uh, some idiot, uh, breaks the agreement that everyone made and sings out for a whale. Specifically, sings out for Moby Moby Dick. Dick. Yes.
1: Uh, and, uh, Moby Dick, cried Don Sebastian. Saint Dominic, Sir Sailor, but do whales have christenings? Whom call you Moby Dick?
0: And, okay... Finally, finally, Ishmael forbears uh, a digression. God, yeah,
1: he could have just included the entire novel. He
0: could have. He could have recursively put all of Moby Dick inside of this chapter of Moby Dick, but (laughs) all he says is...
1: Scott McLeod's infinite canvas.
0: Oh, God. That's not what that is.
1: (laughs) No, I know it's hypertext, but imagine doing this as hypertext.
0: But all he says is, A very white and famous and most deadly immortal monster, Don. But that would be too long a story. Um,
1: The only time Ishmael's storytelling has ever forborne a digression.
0: Yes. Um, And and I... I, I, Everyone wants him to go on that digression,
1: too. (laughs) And you can buy this in bookstores now. (laughs) Anyway. uh, um, Internal cross-promotion. I wouldn't put it past Ishmael, because I don't think he understands marketing either.
0: No. Uh, Anyhow, um, so the, the... the call is put out for the white whale, and uh, the, the ship lowers.
1: Yeah, um, in the excitement of the moment, everyone just goes in for it, even though they have that theory of, okay, we're not going to call out for whales.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think they kind of have to, like, the all the, all the mates, all the officers are mm. ready to go, and I, I don't think the seamen are actually in a position where they can refuse to lower.
1: Yeah, no, you're right. That would be another mutiny. So yeah. they were just hoping to slip by, but now they're lowering for the white whale.
0: Yep. And... Uh, as it happens, um, uh, Steel Kilt is on Radney's boat. Yes. Um, and uh, when they uh, and as they lower uh, Radney's Radney's boat, uh, clearly in part due to Steel Kilt's uh, manful rowing, yeah, uh, gets the closest to yep. Moby Dick.
1: Just gets launched out. Also, uh, Moby Dick is described. Um, very cool, uh shifted and glistened like a living opal in that blue morning sea. Yes. The appalling beauty of the vast milky mass.
0: Yes. Uh and so uh Radney's boat makes it to Moby Dick, and uh his harpoonier harpoons the whale. Uh and Radney orders his boat to be beached on the whale so he can attack.
1: Yeah, he, he just orders them to get his—I think that's meant to be slightly, like, metaphorical. He's just ordering—no, no, straight at the whale. Get clo- as close as possible for more harpooning. Yes. Like, beached on the whale, I think, is a metaphor here. I don't think he literally wants to be
0: yeah, well. No, he, well, you're right, because, in fact, what actually happens is the boat literally does strike the whale, Radney falls out, uh, and falls away from the, the boat. Like, the boat falls on one side of the whale. Radney falls on the other. Yeah. And Moby Dick eats him.
1: Yeah, just seizes him in his teeth. Like, And then dives down with it. Um, and, uh... Steel Kilt, calmly looking on, thought his own thoughts. But a sudden, terrific downward jerking of the boat quickly brought his knife to the line. That's the harpoon line to Moby Dick. Because Moby Dick has dived and... In theory, they should just keep spooling out the rope, because they've got enough that as deep as a whale normally dives, it won't pull the boat under. The whale will eventually surface again, and you'll still have a Harpoon. Radney cuts the line.
0: Yep. Uh, uh,
1: and then, uh, at some distance, Moby Dick rose again, with some tatters of Radney's red woolen shirt, caught in the teeth that had destroyed him.
0: Yep. Uh, and uh, they they continue to give chase, but uh, they are not able to... Catch the white whale,
1: huh? Really?
0: <laughs> yes. Um.
1: Uh, and this would have happened before the events of Moby Dick, the novel, and Ahab's quest. I just want to put that forward.
0: Yeah, yeah. As as we stated at the beginning, it's it's two years before the, the gam between the Pequod mm, yep, and yep. the Townhouse.
1: Just as long as you keep track of gams, everything will be fine. <laughs>
0: uh, and so uh, the Townhouse finally reaches port, uh, in like a pretty remote island.
1: Um and uh at,
0: at that point uh the, the, they do the thing, yeah, almost the entire crew uh deserts and like disappears into di- disappears on this island um, uh
1: and then it turns out later they stole a uh like a it's described here as a double large double war canoe, and I'm reasonably certain that means that it's like a sailed catamaran,
0: yeah, that seems uh, believable,
1: which would be a real cool boat, real. Would have to be pretty big to, you know, fit something like 25 25 men on it. But, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, clearly they did fine.
0: Yeah, and uh, the the captain uh, is basically forced to, uh, you know, uh, commandeer uh, a bunch of locals um, to uh, fix up the ship. Um,
1: But also, he's not super happy about this he doesn't really trust the uh the locals that have been it's not said how they're induced to do this but it's entirely possible it's at gunpoint because the captain like parks the boat out in the harbor arm pulls the two cannon out of the hold and sets them up and like has people with uh guns and like boating hooks like walking the the thing just fortifies and takes one of the whale boats and sails it for tahiti
0: yeah, because basically he's willing to use uh, the islanders of this particular island. He's willing to he's willing to force them to, uh, you know, pump out his boat and fix the leak. Uh, but he is not willing to try to make them be his actual crew. I think he probably doesn't believe that that would go succeed. well for him. <laughs> Also, I guess I don't even know if these people are, like, capable sailors or whalemen, but I think more importantly than that, the captain doesn't trust them.
1: Yeah, it's um. it's the the phrase, they're dangerous allies. And it, it is unclear if they're paying them or what. Like, it's possible that this is inducement by, like, hey, we will give you stuff if you will help us pump this boat, but he still doesn't trust them and he's still worried that the boat is going to be seized. Yeah, uh. well,
0: I also, I think that probably... They, uh... Coerced? Coerced them, uh, just because, like, uh, because of how it's presented that, like, the remaining handful of, of, uh, white crew that the captain has have to keep, like, that that they, uh... They have to
1: keep a constant watch with muskets, so yeah, you're probably right.
0: Yeah, um...
1: I certainly don't like the captain, so I'm perfectly willing to believe that he was just like, You! Fix my boat! At gunpoint.
0: Yes, uh, and so, uh, leaving the, leaving his ship, leaving the town hoe, uh, like, defended by this, like, skeleton crew, uh, the captain sets off in a boat with one other guy, uh, to Tahiti, 500 miles away.
1: Yeah, it's, it's an impressive voyage.
0: Yeah, um, and on the way, he encounters Steel Kilt's canoe.
1: Yep, Steel Kilt's, uh, Yeah, yoked war canoes has to be catamarans. Uh, But um, the captain has a pistol, but Steel Kilt laughs and says, basically, I've got, like, 25 people. You kill me, you're definitely drowning. You're definitely going to get buried at sea.
0: Yes, uh, and uh, Steel Kilt uh, boards the captain's boat uh, and uh, gets out of him that he's going to Tahiti for a new crew, uh, and he makes the captain swear uh, that as soon as Steelkilt leaves, the captain will uh, get beach the boat on the island and stay there for six days. Um, and uh, it it it's kind of cute how uh, we don't actually. Hear, it's not actually said. The captain repeated the oath as Steelkilt insisted. Uh, but Steelkilt says a pretty scholar, meaning I think like ah, good. You you repeated exactly what I said. Yeah,
1: yeah, like a a good student. <clears throat> yes, exactly. Um, and then he. Uh takes off with the catamaran and the, uh, crew, and six, uh, six days later, um, the captain will do the same, but this means Steel Kilt gets to H- Tahiti first.
0: Yes, and, uh, as luck would have it, there are two ships about to go for France uh, that need the number of people that Steel Kilt has, uh, so they get on those ships and they get off scot-free.
1: Yep, and then, uh, after that, after, um... About ten days, so I guess four days for sailing 500 miles, impressive. Uh, Or whatever was less fit, I don't know. Um, He arrives, uh, the crew that he ends up being able to find there are Tahitians, obviously. And uh, he returns to the vessel and cruises it. And that's who uh, Ishmael and the rest of the Pequod ran into um, when they had a gam with the town ho.
0: And uh, Ishmael... Concludes this narrative, although not quite the chapter yet, by saying Where Steel Kilt now is, gentlemen, none know, but upon the island of Nantucket, the widow of Radney still turns to the sea which refuses to give up its dead, still in dreams sees the awful white whale that destroyed him. Yeah. Got yeah, it. that's the that's the end of the Town Hose story. Yep. Um And the last little bit here, uh the the dawns uh
1: are skeptical.
0: Yeah, they, they, they're they like, Ishmael, is this really true? Like, who did you hear all this stuff from? Um,
1: and Ishmael insists they get a, a get a Bible, basically.
0: Yeah, is- Ishmael's response is like, all right, well, do you have a copy of the gospel? And uh, the, it's kind of funny. They were the ones who were like, oh, is this really true? But then their response seems to kind of be like, uh, oh, well, we could go get a Bible and get a priest, but... um. Uh, oh, are you really sure? We don't really want to like draw the attention of a priest.
1: Yeah, there's also a bunch of again this, the, the the super intense like Ishmael's idea of Spanishness going on here. Yes. Um, you know, though there are no auto de fe's in Lima now, said one of the company to another. I fear our sailor friend runs risk of the archiepiscopacy. Yes. Which is. uh... I believe, like, the heresy of being an Anglican instead of a Catholic.
0: I, I think that's what's meant by that, yes. Yeah, something like that. Yeah.
1: So, there's, like, this intensely, like, Catholic and Inquisition-focused idea of what the culture of Lima is yes. in this chapter that is just like, Ishmael, I don't believe you. <laughs> I don't believe Lebans constantly refer to the Inquisition.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, um, so they fetch the priest and the Bible, and uh, Ishmael swears on it, uh, specifically the, the last lines of the chapter. He swears, uh, so help me, heaven, and on my honor, the sto- story I've told you, gentlemen, is in substance and its great items true. I know it to be true. It happened on this ball. I trod the ship. I knew the crew. I have seen and talked with steel since the death of Ratney.
1: And that's the end of the chapter. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 fun, and also the like the bit where he's like, "Yeah, I met the I met the crew. I walked the ship, and then later I spoke to Steel Kilt."
0: Yeah. Um. I I I would imagine we're not actually gonna get to see that that meeting, uh, because I, I I I can't imagine it happens on the Pequod. That must have been uh, you know, in Ishmael's post Pequod travels. Yeah. Um. Uh, but, that know.
1: took him to Lima,
0: yes, among other exactly. places. But
1: yes, no, I think that's definitely uh, definitely the case. Um, so I do think we have a little time to talk about is Ishmael a good story? Well, or more generally, what do we think about the town, hall
0: huh? Yeah, well, uh, I think this is, you know, um, obviously, like, on some level, the justification for including this story is because it, it touches on Moby Dick. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, that is why... That would be why the um, Pequod had a gam with the Ho in the first place, right? Is that when uh, Ahab asked them, "Have you seen the white whale?" The answer would have been yes. Yep. Um, and so,
1: and that's why they would have had a gam because he he asks them, "Have you seen the white whale?" And then if there's a no, Ahab basically doesn't do a gam.
0: Exactly. Uh, but they did have a gam. Um, also, it's like uh, you know, we we I guess we know that the uh, the townho's captain came to the Pequod, because, uh, Ishmael, and therefore, um, you know, uh, one of the boats with Ishmael on it went over to the, anyway, not that that matters, yeah, yeah. but, uh, <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, but, but the Moby Dick detail aside, um, you know, this story is developing an idea of, like, uh, perhaps, you know, uh, dangerous and, and like, um, in in some sense like corrupt but also kind of basically virtuous and and manly seamen versus uh venal and and cruel
1: and mate. financially
0: uh... uh yes and and financially interested uh mate and yeah. like officers in general um and uh you know i think we are sort of di- thinking turning over here the idea of like what what really are the rights that a captain or a mate has over the men under his command? Um, like, obviously we know that the, the law and, like, the custom is that uh, they have absolute power and that they can have people flogged for disobedience. Um, but I think, you know, I think Ishmael is kind of suggesting, like, is that actually right? Um, or even even less you know there's questioning perhaps the moral rightness and there's also questioning on some level the practical truth of it right because it's clear from the way that this story turns out that the real threat of a mutiny means that that absolute authority that the captain is supposed to hold uh does not necessarily is not always necessarily borne out you know um
1: yeah i I think that's definitely a takeaway from it and i think that i think also this idea of natural superiority and being in the position to make use of it is a big deal like the yeah. steel kilt is very much an ahab he's someone with an imperial brain a um particular skill but rather than arriving in you know captaincy and what power ahab does have though you know ahab is no emperor um there's a hmm, i guess i would say that it's Steelkilt certainly succeeds and is capable of sort of weathering and controlling this situation in various ways. There's also a question of, like, what is the white whale doing here to show up at this, like, crucial moment in a way that somehow saves or completes Steelkilt's vengeance without him actually having to, you know, become a murderer?
0: Yeah, in a weird way, Moby Dick is on Steelkilt's side.
1: Yeah, Um. I, I think that's true. Um... I think that the the sort of, the aspect of this that seems to be like almost a divine intervention to fulfill the natural, I don't want to say natural supremacy because that sounds very creepy, but like the, the natural nobility of steel kilt, which is stymied by an unfair situation and Radney is presented as just an unfair mate, um, there is this sort of, cetacean intervention to ensure that Steelkilt gets his revenge without having to actually be a murderer. And almost certainly, if Radney had just gone missing and Steelkilt was on the same watch, I cannot imagine that Steelkilt would not have been locked up and possibly executed.
0: Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, he, he clearly planned it out in such a way that it would be impossible to like necessarily prove that he did it but i think you're right that like the suspicion would be obvious
1: yeah the suspicion would be obvious um murder is a pretty big deal and the captain presumably would not exactly be fond of the idea that someone capable and willing to commit a murder like that would be on the ship with him he'd be like sleeping with his uh like cabin door locked and a pistol pointed at it you know yeah
0: yeah no definitely
1: so if you have someone on the ship who does something like that you at best maroon them you just can't unless it's like what i'm saying is that i think that steel Kill was genuinely saved by moby dick mm. um from possibly death at the very least from being a murderer and having that risk uh And then he does get to, you know, cut the line, and so he has some involvement in this final death, although I can't imagine there was any chance of getting Radney back alive. Yeah. But he did choose not to try and finish off Moby Dick.
0: Yeah. I I, I think uh, I'm interested also to kind of think through, and, you know, we aren't going to be able to determine this in any precise way, but we we already talked a little bit about how these details of Steel Kilt's, you know, unexecuted plan to kill Radney uh, that... Those almost have to have come from Steelkilt's mouth. Yeah. Um, I, I'm curious which parts of the story we think might have been relayed to Tashtigo by uh, the remaining original members of mm. the crew and not shared with the mates of the Pequod.
1: I also have a second question, which is, if Ishmael spoke with uh, Steelkilt, why don't we know what Steelkilt whispered?
0: Yeah, I think Steel Kilt refused to share those parts.
1: No, I, I think that's true, but um, that there's, once again, it's a theme we keep running into in this book. There are limits to our knowledge. There's obscurities we can't actually penetrate into and that we really have no way of figuring out. Ishmael doesn't know, and we cannot, like, from Ishmael's account, assemble a good guess.
0: Yeah. So my thought is that I, I think that most of this story uh, was the part, w- was uh, only related to Tashkigo, because I think that the parts of this story that the captain of the town hoe would have actually been interested in relaying to Ahab, and, you know, that Ahab would have been interested in hearing, would basically just have been the parts where it's like, yeah, we were sailing with a leak, we encountered Moby Dick, uh, he killed my mate, and we weren't able to capture him.
1: Um, mm, i bet that uh i bet that the mutiny was mentioned in the in order to explain why his crew was not the crew that had sailed when they found moby dick
0: yeah like, that would make a certain amount of sense yeah we had a mutiny people deserted we we had to recoil yeah. in tahiti um,
1: I, I think there's it's easy for the captain to spin this as a man assaulted my mate um the crew were kind of sympathetic to him and that was when we encountered Moby Dick, who killed that same mate. And then all of the crew uh, left at once as soon as we landed on a small island in Polynesia. It was a huge hassle, and that's why I ended up having a Tahitian crew.
0: Yeah, I, I think the details about the original conflict between mm-hmm. Radney and Steel Kilt and the crew's plan, uh, like, induced by Steel Kilt to not sing out for whales, I think that stuff must have been... Relayed by the remaining uh, original crew members. Yeah, I think chief.
1: so. I think also probably. Um, I think it's almost certainly the case that the captain's encounter with Steelkilt and his little insult of "Oh, a scholar." Um, that's almost certainly from Steelkilt himself, because it would yeah. be something he'd find very funny to relate. Presumably, given how funny he thought it was at the time.
0: Yeah, I and think that's the true. captain
1: would absolutely not have said it, and I don't think the remaining crew of the town ho would have been privy to it except yeah. for that one guy
0: yeah it is it's is technically possible that it was that probably m- a mate it's technically possible that 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 one guy could have shared that with testigo but yeah i think you're right that man was probably a mate so probably not
1: yeah, yeah. there's definitely a sense of a uh, foxhole solidarity like you know uh before the before the mainmast solidarity and then officers are their own category
0: yes definitely yeah um that that i think is also another reason like to for ishmael to just include that story the story at all is is to communicate that division um and 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 underline how that works on ships
1: yeah no i think that makes sense um i think that this question of like also you have almost a you know ishmael likes to divide things into christians and pagans and while that doesn't quite apply to steel kilt versus radney or steel kilt versus the captain there's definitely a sense that steel kilt is this wild individual with wild but noble bearing and radney and the captain are much more uh civilized and going according to proper like organization and rules so i think that there's a certain element of like this is what happens when these forces of sort of vital energy and organization which might be the sort of non-racist way of putting these two forces. Mm-hmm. There's, there's a lot going on there. It's not, you can't actually take Moby Dick and, like, boil out the racism and get the same book. But I think that these two forces are at play in this relationship, and it's kind of, you might also say, about what happens if those forces are not properly framed together. This captain is no Ahab, who's managed to fuse together his crew into this incredibly capable, uh, and fundamentally loyal force despite all of these various impulses whereas here radney and Steelkilt just come into inescapable conflict and it brings everything crashing down
0: yeah i think that's a fair uh reading of what's going on here
1: <sighs> also here's a question what do we make of the uh the christ a- uh, allegory here
0: yeah, um, you know, there's definitely some stuff going on here where, like, Steel Kilt is this, like, virtuous leader of men who is, like, uh, you know, immured in darkness and who is, like, tortured with two people by his side. And, like, you know, Ishmael explicitly makes that yeah. Yep.
1: I'll also point out that the captain washed his hands of this. Uh, yes. He refused to actually be the one to, uh, you know, execute punishment on Steel Steelkilt uh, because of, in this case, something unknown. But he, he washed his hands of this and let, but allowed his mate to do it. I think he's definitely the Pontius Pilate of this, uh, of this scenario.
0: Yeah, I think that's true. Um.
1: And I think that makes Rad, obviously that ma- I think that makes Rad be kind of the Judas. Like there's a sense of, if not straightforward betrayal since they hated each other, but of like festering hate.
0: Yeah, I mean the the betrayal I think is really in the 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 men uh, in in successive groups uh, deserting. Mm, yeah, yeah, guilt. that's true. Uh, it's it's definitely not like a one to one allegory, um, which is you know good. I, D- yeah, I yeah, think yeah, that no. would be weird um, and like less interesting. Um, yeah, I'm,
1: I'm willing to say it might have also been interesting, but I'm not saying this isn't interesting.
0: Yeah, no, that's fair. That's but you're
1: fair. right; it's not it's not one to one at all. Um, um yeah. I, I, I stand by my position that this is a this is kind of an ill-told story as a story told within like in within the fiction but I think that as a piece of fiction it's fascinating and great I'm not in any way criticizing Melville when I say Ishmael please get to the point yeah <sighs> but yeah the um, the townhose story it's uh, it's kind of wild um, it's kind of weird and not really... It's another whaling story, entirely separate from the story of Moby Dick and the Pequod, except that Moby Dick shows up. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, god, now I'm just imagining the Moby Dick Expanded Universe, like the, uh, like a series of short stories all with Moby Dick in them. I'd read that anthology.
0: Yeah, fair enough, fair enough.
1: Uh, yeah, is there anything else, uh, about the townhouse story that's, uh, worth bringing to mind?
0: No, I think, uh, I think we've pretty much covered it.
1: Cool. I do want to, uh, mention that, uh, because I'm very smug about it, uh, that I got to go sailing yesterday. <laughs> uh, no whales, but it was great, first sail of the year. Also my birthday, so it was a lovely time. You got uh,
0: to, uh, you know, express your true nature as a lakeman, finally.
1: Uh, I don't think I'm a steel kilt. I, I don't think that the, the, the lakeman qualities ascribed to steel kilt are, are mine. I'm, I am not a particularly tempestuous mariner, I'll be quite honest.
0: But Ben, you were raised on the shores of this inland ocean.
1: <laughs> okay, Lake Mendota is not an inland ocean. It's not even technically one of the Great Lakes. I feel like I am stealing Lake Valor. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, but yeah, no, uh, uh, next time we get to some chapters, I'm, I keep saying... Some of my favorite chapters at like regular intervals
0: Yeah, you really do um, But
1: um, I'm, I'm very excited For Images of Whales
0: Yes, yes
1: mm, Images of Whales I mean, this entire book is Images of Whales
0: Yeah, I mean, that's true But no, definitely uh, Exciting exciting uh, Whale intertextuality In the next <laughs> several chapters
1: You know, fair enough, fair enough That's a, that's a fair description
0: So, uh, what tune is it you pull for, men?
1: A dead whale or a stove boat?